two. Yo, just being real right now, I did not sign on to jack shit. I did not consent. I did not consent. I did not consent. I did not consent. I did not consent to all these evil endless wars. And I did not consent to you robbing me for the poor. And I did not consent to the drug wars prohibition. The mass incarceration, crony clandestine vision. And I did not consent to throwing children into prisons. God damn, that is powerful. That's <laughs> powerful, powerful, powerful. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Freshly Based. This is the mostly peaceful podcast. <clears throat> we got bells and whistles going off because my fucking computer is going insane, and you wouldn't expect anything less hanging out with us crazy savages. So <clears throat> today we are hanging out with our friend, your favorite. His name is Jack. He is Mr. Voluntary. Um, he's a producer, an author, has a book on Amazon, um, and he's going to kind of just shed some light on voluntarianism and libertarianism and just kind of explore explore the insanity of clown world through another lens. You get to hear us jackasses talk about things all the time, and you know I'm like... I may be like three cents south of like an Alex Jones. So like, you know, it's going to be nice to get some other um, some other input here. So um, welcome to the show, Jack. It's so great to have you here, brother. Thanks, Joe. I know I really appreciate you having me on. I'm excited. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool to see so many different people really engage in the culture and think about new ways to, you know, come up with different uh, outlets for reaching people and, you know, sharing what's going on in the world and kind of getting them to think about different perspectives. So I appreciate you having me on. 100% man. Um, it's our pleasure. So tell us a little bit about, you know, like where you grew up and kind of like what your childhood was like. Sure. So uh, originally I'm from New York, uh, you know, originally Long Island, and I kind of grew up there uh, from birth until about my early teen years, you guys you could say. And my family was, you know, together at the time, uh, you know, with my mom and dad and siblings, I was mostly a, I guess you could say for most of the time there in a conservative uh, evangelical uh, Christian household, um, messianic specifically. Um, and so a lot of my life was spent, uh, revolved around church oriented things, uh, especially uh, from the messianic bent and going to uh, private Christian schools and things like that, except for, you know, kindergarten. I, I went to two other private Christian schools otherwise. And uh, a lot of my life was, <laughs> was revolving around those things. Um, from whether it was going to church or youth groups, uh, to going to Royal Rangers, to going to Temple, to going, you know, to to different, you know, things that kind of enshrine that whole uh, uh, religious worldview. So I would say that was a big part of uh, my life growing up uh, over there in, in New York. <laughs> Interesting. So what part of New York was that? I was I'm from Long Island too. I'm from uh, Nassau County, Limbrook. 
So nice. without giving too, too, too much away and in personal information, I would say, uh, you know, somewhere around there actually. So I, I could t- speak with some familiarity to, to those areas actually. Yeah. Right on. Sometimes <laughs> I got to take for, you know, like into consideration that I'm already on a ton of fucking watch lists. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, with, so you went to, to, um, you know, religious school and stuff and that's, that was kind of like your upbringing. Um, what would you say like, is like the big differentiator between like messianic, um, you know, teachings in school versus like, you know, other like Methodists and all, all the other kind of like different off branches of Christianity. Sure. So, um, the messianic, uh, focus is basically, uh, Jewish Christians. So people who still hold on to, I guess you could say a lot of the, the Hebraic practices and they incorporate that, um, into their Christianity, uh, where they see, you know, Jesus is being the Messiah, the fulfillment, but still, you know, I guess you could say honoring the traditions of many, uh, you know, Jewish practices. So in terms of the churches we went to, we went to a lot of non-denominationals and a Nazarene church. Um, but, you know, I visited all different types of churches going up and including, a, you know, temple, going to temple on Saturdays until I was about six. So we, you know, had quite a broad base experience in, in that sector minus uh, catholicism um you know orthodox so you know those things we weren't doing it too much as uh, with when i was uh, growing up then got you at least you were spared catholicism that's that's what i grew up with and it was uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. you get all the 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 gore that the bible offers and uh you don't get a lot of the pretty stuff if you do get the pretty stuff they're chanting it in latin and you have no idea what the fuck is going on but that can be a little creepy did uh, you have a catechism yeah, I, I I went. I got kicked out of a catechism when I was. So I I got communion and um I was like maybe like nine or ten, and the the nun was trying to explain like the resurrection and like I my my grandparents used to call me old man because I would like look at things from like not the lens that a young kid would look at things from. So they're explaining. You know, Jesus gets crucified. They put him in the cave. He comes out. He prepares heaven and all. And so I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, people don't just die and then come out of a cave. And so I'm like, I'm like, does anybody else like die and come back? And the teacher's like, no. I'm like, I'm like, are you sure this happens? So like, I started questioning it. And so like, they're like, look, like this is how it went down. And um, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't take it. I'm like, but there was no cat. Like it's just no biblical shit happens when there's cameras on. Like It's like <laughs> yeah. biblical shit happened 2000 years ago. And as soon as the camera was invented, it's like, all right, everybody in the fourth dimension, let's fucking hide because we don't want to yeah. get on camera. And it's like, it's, so I just couldn't like accept it. I'm like, so you tell it like, we just have to, they're like, that's why it's faith. And I'm like, I don't fucking get it. Cause I was, you know, nine, you know, like I just found out wrestling wasn't real. So like my fucking whole world was crushed. You know what I mean? And so they sent me to like, this was like an old school Catholic priest. So, so this dude, Father Singleton, was the guy who baptized my mom. So you can imagine how old this fucking guy was. And he was like one of those creepy priests that, you know, got in trouble and, you know, for, for doing things he shouldn't have been doing with the altar boys and stuff. Um, he brings me, he goes, I, I heard you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. I'm like, I just don't understand it. So he pulls out a ruler and starts hitting me in my hands. And I called him an asshole and I kicked him in the legs. I go running out the door of St. Raymond's Church. Go across the street, off uh, across Union, and I'm in Sandeep Soin was this uh, Indian kid in my school, and his dad had a candy shop and a, like a lotto place, and I'm like, I'm like, Mr. Soin, I gotta call my dad, I gotta call my dad, and my dad was like a wannabe like gangster dude. He was like gangster adjacent. 
he like knew some guys, so then he like flex on people because he thought he was like he's like winning points or something. So he's like, you can't use my phone. Then he realized like my dad was the crazy Italian guy. He's like, oh, you could call your dad. And he's like, what happened? I'm like, the priest hit me. He's like, oh, I gotta see this. My dad drives his Fleetwood Brougham to the church after I get him on the phone. I see him go inside the church, and me, me and Sandy's dad are standing outside. I'm holding his hand on the sidewalk. And all of a sudden, the big doors of the church swing open, and Father Singleton goes flying out onto the steps. And my dad is just beating the shit out of him. And every hit, every well, he was go like, you will not hit another child as long as I'm alive. Like, so every hit, he was like getting out like his point. Then he screams at me to get in the car. So now I'm hysterical crying. You're, you're nine. Like, you're not built for this stuff at nine years old. And so my dad gets me in the car. And I'm just like, uh, uh, and he's like, so what happened? And I'm like, and I'm like, dude, I just told you, you hit me in the hands. He's like, yeah, we can't go back to that church. So my parents actually got a letter from Rome that we were excommunicated from the Catholic church. So that is, that is the Catholic experience. After that, I think we just went to like one Bible study where people talked in tongues and my mom was like, we got to get the fuck out of here. So, you know, we put our Bibles up and made our way to the front door. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty traumatic. I, I just can't imagine uh, how that must have affected you at the time having all that come to, to a head so quickly. Uh, it, <laughs> it makes, like, I really fast. <laughs> yeah, it makes me the well-rounded person you see here before you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so wow. when did you start noticing that like things were off and like, institutions or like school the government like when when you started kind of like going like oh something's something's not right what, what was like the, the trigger or the catalyst for that mm -hmm. so i would say the biggest trigger or thing that kind of you know set me on the path was when i was in college i was in history class and we were studying the american eugenics movement and there was the case of buck v bell where justice oliver wendell holmes said that carrie buck because she was an epileptic couldn't have any more kids and that you know, because she was from a family of people who were supposedly imbeciles, um, that three, you know, generations of imbeciles was enough. And so they had her forcibly sterilized. And I'd never heard about that part of history before. And it kind of was shocking to me. And I was like, oh, okay, well, um, if I didn't know that, what else don't I know mm. about American history? So that kind of set me down the path. And I started to really research everything anew, just kind of looking at everything fresh. And just pulling everything I can using the resources of my school that I could, you know, UJ store and stuff like that. And then came across Alex Jones, and that was uh, a lot of fun. And uh, going down that oh, path yeah. um, with his works and his videos from Obama Deception Endgame um, definitely helped me be able to kind of pinpoint some key things in history that obviously are not going to be talked about in your typical public school classroom uh, or private school classroom for that matter. And that kind of, you know, further catapulted me down, like reinvestigating my ethics and what I thought about the world and down eventually to, you know, the idea of, of libertarianism and individualism and respecting individual body and property rights. And then eventually um, I came across this one website called No State Project run by this guy named Mark Stevens, who's just really big about telling people how they can get out of, you know, tickets and stuff like that in California, um, you know, just, you know, fighting the state kind of thing. And he had this thing on his website that said, you know, should goods and services be provided at the barrel of a gun? And at that point, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, actually, ethically, I, you know, I don't think that's that's right. So that's kind of like what you know, put me down to the path of being a, a voluntarist at that point. So it was a development of several years of, of reading and researching, but that's what kind of shot me down that way. Interesting. That That's Very awesome. Um, I know for me, I 
got a copy of the Obama deception. Um, my drug dealer left it at my house. Like, <laughs> this guy came over and he brought me some weed and he's like, bro, you got to watch this DVD. And so I was like, all right. And I, I had zero interest in politics. I, w- I was a musician and I was like, you know, I was just worried about like the next gig and partying and stuff like that. And then I take a look at this film. I was like, wow, like, you know, this is the implications of this all being true are, are wild. And from there it went down a rabbit hole and I found Bill Cooper and Ron Paul. Um, and those were like two figures that, you know, Bill Cooper goes deep into the abyss of like how dark, demented and disgusting our government and different um, agencies that are supposed to be like foreign by the people, but they're actually, you know, anything but. And so Bill Cooper was like a precursor to Alex Jones, in my opinion, that like, after a certain point, they came after him. They kind of knew he was he was uh, exposing too much, and he also called out Alex for being part of like some sort of government, um, like psyop to like misinform people. So like, if if you'll, you'll be discredited if you say like, "Oh, where'd you get that from?" From Infowars. Oh, you listen to that crazy dude? Well, I don't believe anything you're saying now. Because they'll say 85% of the truth and then 15% is the frogs are gay. And then, like, you're like, okay, that guy. So um, those are, like, two big ones um, for me. Um, what do you think about the, like, the voluntarist and, like, libertarian philosophy is the most attractive? Because, like, I've I've sat and I've, I've had friends that are, you know, they they think communism is a viable idea of how to live and... You know, I, I hear them out and, you know, if I had the understanding of like a five-year-old, I might agree with them because like there's a lot of oversimplified ideas that I think lead people down that path and they get emotional. And like I could also understand like the conservative religious right and like other, but like this is really interesting because like you only get fed Coke and Pepsi by the mainstream media. They don't talk about like the RC Cola or like, you know, the cheer wine. And I feel like libertarianism is kind of like it's it's always been there on the shelf it's actually it's in, in my opinion it was like the root of the country you know the constitutionalist you know mindset what about it was like the most attractive to you that you're like yeah this is like the philosophy that really speaks to me sure so for me i think what i really value about it is that it's a negative rights ideology what i mean by that is that um it's just about what you do with yourself and how you c- control yourself right the the whole thing is not really about trying to control other people it's about saying that you for yourself have a certain kind of respect as pertains to others and their stuff right and that's going to be that you want to maximize consent so in other words you're really trying to you know get people to agree with you before doing anything you don't want to you know use coercion or force someone to do something they're not wanting to do kind of thing and then uh, minimizing initiation of force which is is tied to consent of course because in order to um, have something, you know, be a, a consensual relationship. Um, and you know, you need to not be using force to, you know, threaten somebody to, you know, use violence against their body and stuff like that. You, you know, it should be something they agree to whatever it is. Um, and so, uh, for me, I think that that's just a, a really great uh, framework to live by because it's just about myself. It just involves how I treat others, which most people I think even, you know, already resonate with, with just kind of like childhood values, the idea of like, Hey, you know, you shouldn't hit others and don't take their stuff kind of thing. Like you should, you know, respect in that way. Uh, But it gets lost because of, of government distortions and manipulations, which get people to think that through the magic of the state, 
a group of people can call themselves, you know, special politicians and officers and suddenly do things that people as individuals could never be seen as ethical in doing, even if it was, you know, claimed for a charitable purpose, right? If you were to go to your neighbor's house and take something out of their house and then sell it, but you gave the money to a homeless person, they're like, oh, well, see, I did something nice, but yeah, you, you took from your, your, your neighbor and now they're out, <laughs> whatever it is, you took a clock or whatever. Um, so, you know, for me, that's why it is such a, a great and pure uh, ideology is that it's just about the individual actor. It's about uh, each person choosing to respect others, um, their consent, their physical bodies, their property and stuff like that. Um, and so there's a lot of a peace about that. And there's also um, just, you know, a really great framework for how to treat others and how to have good relationships that I think gets lost over time thanks to all the uh, government brainwashing at school so for sure <laughs> that's uh that's it's funny that cons you say about consent and that's i love that point um it even reminds me of uh and going back to something you guys were just talking about you know those moments in life where you realize something was up there's uh, it's in the in declaration of independence and i pulled it up so i don't butcher the quote which i'm a master of doing right after the part we all know among these are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute a new government, laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its power in such form. Like, it just, from, it just makes sense because from the beginning, the, the, the country we live in was built among those principles of consent of the govern of of consenting to put people and minimizing violence as you said it just it makes a lot of sense i would say that you know maybe uh with, with the constitution what they're writing you know declaration of the pen specifically those principles are definitely espoused and many of the founders absolutely were working toward that end and even many of them were abolitionists who tried to get abolition through but they, they weren't able to compromise on that um but i would say that in in function at least with the 1789 um, you know, uh, the uh, ratification of, of the uh, Constitution, uh, it unfortunately really didn't actually manifest in a way that involved, you know, consent, because the only people who could actually participate that would be uh, white landowning males over, you know, 21. So basically women, minorities, right. Indians, if you didn't have land and you're a white guy, you're under 21, you couldn't do anything. And I think that, um, you know, it, it's often used, you know, that mantra is often used to get people to think that they have a say in government. But I'd say that by and large, governments around the world are just instituted by a small oligarchy of people who claim that people are consenting, uh, but in reality, no individual was, you know, gone through each person like, hey, do you consent? Do you consent? They don't do that. They just say, oh, we're ruling now, you know. So mm -hmm. it, it's it's definitely a spirit of uh, a language that I like, the, the concept of really trying to value individual consent. I just think that the nature of, of governments, you know, through all time have always been just a small insular group of people who claim by unilateral decree that they are the owners of everybody and their land and their structures pre-existing, you know, based on that forcible decree. And, and they, they often use violence in order to, you know, get that type of uh, belief in, in their system. Um, and, you know, we can go over that too, but it's, it's a very common trope. Yeah. And they, <clears throat> they sell you on the bullshit that like they're servant leaders, like they're doing something for you. Right. You know, I used to argue that like, representative government makes no sense because you know you can meet 10 people that call themselves one thing like they're part of like a monolith whether it's conservative liberal whatever right but then if you actually like dig down deep if these people have any 
semblance of like individuality, they're actually going to have some differentiation that finding a rep that actually believes in those things. And that's also not going to take bribes from special interests and, and go against, you know, their, their moral fiber for, you know, a payout. It's like so rare, you know, and um, it's, it's a shame how so many people feel the need that like you need a government. Like one of the things that I always argue with people about is like, if you just like, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene and this person are like, we need to get the Democrats and the rhinos out. And this person's like, well, we need to get all the Republicans and the gun nuts out. And it's like, why don't we just end the federal government? Because it seems to be the root of all the problems. Like, it seems like people want to prune the leaves on the tree rather than chopping the fucking tree down. And it's why, why do you think people are so afraid of the idea of there not being a federal government? I mean, if you if, if you really boil it down, like, you know, like, do you think it maybe comes down to like how. You know, some humans like I, I hate to boil it down and to be crass to like go into like sexuality, but like there's some people that are naturally submissive and then there's some people who are naturally alpha that that they are always going to like you can't get them to submit. And like, I wonder if it's like we see that play out with how people look at government and politics. Like, do you think there's like people who they need to feel like someone's lording over them to feel secure and safe? Like, why do you think people feel the need to have government and especially big government like liberals? So, I mean, from my own personal research into into this issue and the histories of, of origins of states, um, I would say that the idea of people saying they need government um, is has largely just been a product of specific brainwashing. Um, I, I mean, obviously, as you were saying, there's definitely people who are uh, more assertive versus more submissive, you know, personality traits, stuff like that. But when we're talking about government specifically, it's this nature of these mandatory automatic rulers. And um, the government has a huge brainwashing program for that end, you know, with, with public schooling, where kids, you know, as young as maybe even four or five are pledging blindly to the flag every day. And they're, you know, committing themselves to this political regime when they have no idea what that even really means. Um, and, you know, for basically their entire career there and, and many times beyond, um, they're told that without the government, there would be chaos that if it wasn't for the government saving them, you know, there'd just be this evil corporations that would be enslaving them and they would just be working in coal mines or, you know, whatever it is that they say to, to justify uh, the need for rulers. And I think that that type of training that's done with students, specifically in the curriculums, you know, the history textbooks and in the command and control systems of what teachers do to get compliance uh, really breaks the human spirit of freedom. Because if you look at any kid before they go into that system, they're naturally curious. They're exploring the world. They learn how to talk and walk on their own. They just want to play and play. There is learning. And once they start getting into school, it wears them down. It wears down their, their personal autonomy to the point that they can't imagine self-starting anything uh, without being told by some authority what it is they have to do. And so very often you'll get by the time, you know, they're in high school, you'll get kids who are just like, oh, just tell me what I have to do because they want to know what they need to do to pass the class or just to, you know, pass a, for a grade or just right. to get a project done or get their A, whatever it is, it's a signaling system. And a bit of why I'm familiar with this is because 
I have been a high school teacher, middle school teacher, substitute teacher. I own a tutoring company and I'm a former juvenile defense lawyer. So all of those things help inform me uh, about these uh, topics because I've seen it both as a student, um, as a, you know, a, a college student, grad student, teacher, substitute teacher, you know, the whole gamut. I've seen, you know, students in, in jail cells in, in classrooms in orange jumpsuits. So I've really gotten to watch firsthand what the process does and to see the effects on kids. Wow. That's, that's powerful. And, you know, do, do you think the, um, the, the divorce from these institutions is, is the, the answer or do you think that reformation is possible or do you think it's just like, you know, one of, one of the uh, theories around like, you know, the first wave of feminism was that that was engineered um, to basically try to end the traditional family unit of, you know, woman stays home and raises the kids and does that man goes out and works. And, and like that original, like dichotomy between man and wife and that original concept of family and try to like break that up. So that way more kids are going into the system and then they're raised by, you know, the curricula of the school and stuff like that. You know, do you, do you feel like that, raising the whole thing and getting rid of it's the answer or do you feel like there could be reforms to make school like i've argued that you know if we went to a system where each classroom had cameras and there's you know just big like classes that are useful so like mathematics you know reading like ba basic things that people would need to then like use those fundamentals to like work on a vocation I would say like vocational school starts in middle school. Um, you know, you, like you could be interested in many different things. So for a year, if you want to like try to work on cars and like, that's something you want to try to do, you do four hours of, you know, thing that, you know, the baseline, like how to balance a checkbook, how to, you know, multiply add like, you know, um, practical, practical things, and then have them work on something that could actually, you know, provide them with, with a future rather than, you know, making them chase these GPA points or like these extracurriculars to fucking, you know, wow some admissions person at some clown world Ivy League school. Like, what do you think the answer is with the schooling system? Sure. So I'm going to try to uh, answer all the, the topics you brought up. So with the uh, long view on, uh, I guess you could say the family unit, I, historically families all had to work or you died, right? So moms, dads, uh, even the kids, if you did not work, you you starved. And kids were often a means to being able to survive, to have helping hands because it was just so brutish, uh, you know, coming out of the hunter-gatherer stages um, and then and into early agriculture, you know, when people were able, were able to figure out that if you could pen animals, you could have exponential growth, you can grow crops intentionally in rows, and you can have, again, exponential growth, you can store that um, in silos so that you can actually ride out famines, you know, we're talking like five, 6,000 plus years ago, you know, people really were uh, able to, to use that to move out of that, you know, hunter gatherer stage. So I would say for much of human history, of course, the family unit being together, working together has always been an important thing. And that um, in the, especially in the 20th century, there has been intentional uh, government focus of trying to break up families and doing so in many different ways, you know, economically through inflation, you know, the Federal Reserve and devaluing people's um, savings um, through, you know, different types of regulations, making it hard for people to earn a living, um, of course, through the welfare system. 
and uh, you know, and, and coupling that with targeted programs like breaking up families with the government's operations in COINTELPRO, the war on drugs, the war on poverty. You know, the government's done specific things to try to go after uh, you know fathers and stuff like that, and independent people, and you know, and jail them, imprison them, and make women more susceptible to becoming dependent on, on welfare because of that. So you know, there's a lot of history with that too. But that's kind of just the uh, broad overview. And then with the uh, system. I'll take this with the school part first. So I'll bring that back before the total system. So the school stuff, um, I'm a huge advocate of what's called unschooling. And so unschooling is this idea that young people are already naturally curious and engaged and want to learn. And it's up to adults to act as facilitators instead of trying to act as performance judges. And what this looks like can be in a variety of different contexts. There's a whole a bunch of different types of, of learning centers where there's co-ops where they have this unschooling concept. Um, there's just homeschooling co-ops where they have unschooling. There's just you know kids learning at home and stuff like that. So there's a bunch of different contexts where this happened. But what's, what's unique about it is that kids are not forced to a one-size-fits-all curriculum. They're not even forced to a curriculum at all. They are allowed to learn and pick and choose their learning by and large within other healthy boundaries you know, set by parents, otherwise obviously protecting them from genuinely dangerous or addictive things, whatever like that. Right. And um, one, one great example of this is the Sudbury Valley School in Framingham, Massachusetts. It's been around um, since the 60s, and they've had great success uh, with the kids there. And you know, there's no difference in material outcomes in terms of what kids do after compared to you know public school. They, you know, they go to college, including Ivy League schools. Some go and are able to work right away, as you were saying, with middle schoolers being able to learn a trade because they're free to choose what they do with their time. Some kids will be able to go and learn to work on boats early and get experience, or they'll be able to go and work on a farm and get you know husbandry experience because they want to do stuff with farming. So the ability for kids to be able to be helped um, instead of being like, oh, you need to do this at this time. And if you're not, you're behind. And then you're shamed with the socioeconomic label, which is a grade that says, oh, you're not good enough. You don't, you don't get to be in the honors classes. You'll get the special privileges. You can't go on the field trips. You can't get these awards. That just pits kids against each other for completely meaningless things. It's just literally a performance ability to meet what teachers demand based on their total life circumstances and their biological maturity, which is, is really absurd when you consider that every kid is different, you know, in terms of what resources they have at home and every kid has a different uh, range of maturity levels. Like just cause you're the same numerical age does not mean that you're on the same biological age and brain development, stuff like that. There's, sure. there's, there's great differences. And so it's, it's very unfair to young kids to shame and label them and the stigmatization that comes from that, lasts a lifetime. It's, it's, it's very impactful at how it uh, dumbs down people and hurts their creativity and especially their self-drive. That is their ability to set goals for themselves and then to work toward those goals independently. And it, it's very tragic what ends up happening is because, you know, m most kids then just can't do anything on their own unless they're told because the, their whole uh, entrepreneurial spirit, their self-starting spirit has been broken. Um, mm. So I, I'm a big advocate of that. I have a page, the honest teacher that's, that's dedicated to educating families on that. I've helped hundreds of families be able to exit the schooling paradigm with resources and other things about how to unschool and, and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I would say definitely breaking the, the schooling paradigm is one of the key ways to break out of this Orwellian control that, you know, you, you've been mentioning. And then uh, the federal issue that, uh, obviously, I'm, a, I'm, I'm for abolishing all that. Uh, I, you know, as a, being a voluntarist, I, I you know, I, I think that the whole federal apparatus is, of course, unethical. And I'd say at this point, most people agree with that too. When you consider congressional approval ratings, the uh, anger that everybody has about how the Epstein case was covered up, um, the anger people have about all these perpetual wars, thirty trillion in debt, 
Um, and literally all they just keep doing is, is just lining their own pockets while trying to shut down everybody else and their lives uh, while they get to live freely as you know as everybody got to see it was all exposed and unmasked during you know the uh the c word uh, you know whole fiasco thing that the government of course funded um through equal health alliance and the nih uh you know in, in wuhan so people really got to see the mask off of what the government really is and does over the past two years and i, I think that more than ever people are ready and willing to hear the idea of uh, the federal government being drastically reduced maybe down to zero yeah, you know, I'm, I'm with you one sweet day, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I, I, I just think it's so, it's set up in a way that it's so easy to have corruption at the federal level. And, uh, you know, when I say people, people argue for it, like I, I would say very few of the people that I, I deal with on a day to day are as aware of these things. And, you know, to to someone with with your background and knowledge and stuff, um, this doesn't work, by the way. So, um, with someone you with your background and knowledge, like I'm a novice, like I I'm a guy commenting on these things from a lay level type of you know mindset. Um, it just seems like the big thing is they're like, well, old people need Medicare and, and this stuff and that like it's, it comes down to like these government programs that take care of like truly vulnerable populations and stuff like that. Do you think that's part of like the psyop that keeps people believing that we need to have a nanny government is they prey on the emotions of people with, you know, cause like when you say, when you say $30 trillion in debt, I think about like, you know, I drive by homeless people, you know, I, I know you know, families that have been affected by, you know, in, insane amounts of government overreach from especially the past few years um, where, you know, in the industry that I work in, like, you know, there's a lot of mom and pop businesses and it's crazy. Like from year 2020, 2019, um, about 40% of the stores on that list have closed. So like, you know, like so many people have really taken a, a, a hit, you know, um, I just don't see how, like, you know, like aside from those programs, like what, what is, what do you think keeps these people thinking they need, you know, the, that big nanny state, um, you know, do you think it comes down to like the, like the Smith month act type of stuff where um, I don't know if you're like, like that was like the, the, it was, it was a legislation made in like 1948 um, it was after World War II, we kind of saw like the psychological operations that the Nazis were, you know, employing on their people and their populace. And we said, we're not going to do that to our people. And then in 2012 or, yeah, I believe it was 2012 in the NDAA, um, Obama uh, added in there the um, modernization of the Smith-Munt Act, which basically made propaganda and running psyops on the American people legal through the CIA, FBI and the mainstream media. Do you think it's like, you know, um, you know, the, the old adage, like, you know, um, sometimes people are familiar with their pain, so they'd rather just stay with that rather than experience the unknown. Like, why do you think people, you know, feel the need to have this big government um, when we see, like, to your point, you know, the past two years, especially that it's crooked, it's rules for thee, not for me. Like, you know, like, why do you think people still subscribe to this? When you look at the polls, like people still cheer this fucking clown show on 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's all a part of specific programming. All the all the stuff that people have in the reactionary state, um, it, it's very intentional. And the uh, government using psyops and manipulation is is very old, and you know has been going on for a, a long time. I think if you look at Operation Mockingbird, the CIA uh, worked with many different uh, news agencies um, in order to promulgate whatever it was their talking points. And of course, today you have all different types of ex CIA people. You know, going out into the mainstream uh, media, working at CNN, um, yes, even, right? Um, he was uh, an intern. You have like you know John Brennan. You have um, Clapper, who's an advisor too. He lied about spying with Snowden um, in front of Congress. Never was charged. You know, you have Oliver North. He went to Fox. You know, back in the uh, Iran uh, Contra scandal. So um, this this kind of uh, programming and this networking with uh, the government and corporate media and of course schooling. Uh, it's all built to keep people in, in a constant state of fear. Uh, that's how they operate is, is a constant uh, state of fear and emergency so that the government can rationalize encroaching more and more on individual liberty. And that type of uh, bonding is uh, trauma based as well. You know, it's not just the messaging itself, but the trauma, I think in schooling, you know, that is itself abuse and violence towards young people. And it's used as a way to, uh, you know, essentially crush their, any sense of individuality and, and thinking to think about these things. So it takes a lot of work to wake people up. And um, especially if they become acclimated to uh, getting certain types of governments, you know, people will say, you know, handouts, but really it's, it's just theft and uh, you know, giving people back a little piece of, of what they stole uh, from everybody, as you, you know, saw what happened with you know the CARES Act checks, and then what happened after with inflation. Uh, but <laughs> I, I'd say the goal of those in the state is to get people to not be able to imagine life any other way outside of it, and they often do things with spectacle in order to get people, uh, I guess you could say, hooked on what it is that they're doing. And I think a more obvious example. Uh, would be for you know in in North Korea they have uh, a, a ski resort right and this North Korean ski resort looks like something that's out of the seventies it's it's nothing is impressive about it whatsoever it's it's pretty crappy um, but they show this to everybody in the world as oh see look at how great we are we made this beautiful ski resort and the people there literally say the workers are like oh without you know Kim Jong Un we would we would never have something so beautiful can you believe it and it's because the brainwashing there, you know, from outsiders looking in and be able to see both leaked video and then foreign nationals who are able to go there and video because, you know, certain types of tourists are allowed. It makes it very abund abundantly clear there how that programming works. And that context, when it's not your home country, when it's not your home base and people, it's very obvious to see the programming over there and see, oh, that's how it gets people to believe that, oh, without the government, they wouldn't have the ski resort, right? Meanwhile, they're like, killing people and starving people and, you know, putting other money into, into the military. But uh, to an outsider, it's, it's pretty obvious, but that same thing that's obvious when you look at something like North Korea, or if you look at, you know, the Chinese government, you're like, Oh yeah, that's clearly tyranny and programming stuff. It happens here. People excuse it. They're like, Oh, that's, that's not, you know, tyranny here when they're, you know, passing the Patriot Act and the NDAA, as you mentioned, and, you know, basically making it so that it's somehow legal for people to be spied on and to be put on no fly lists and to have their bank accounts frozen and to, you know, essentially have more than half their earnings taken and like, Oh no, see, it's, it's all for your own good. And for you know, your own safety. Right. And then you have, you know, police keeping parents like just recently with Uvalde that they uh, kept parents from being able to protect their kids 
uh, while then saying, oh, see, this is why you shouldn't have guns and we need to disarm you. And it's like, wait, what? You you, <laughs> you let the shooter just keep shooting and compare some same people. Now you're saying we're the problem and you want to disarm us. I mean, it's, it's that type of double speak. So I would say, you know, that all ties together with the whole programming regime, which is, is the idea of getting people to not be able to imagine through trauma and repeated mantras, you know, in the media and school uh, to believe that there's no other solution outside of the state. And that's why a big part of my work is getting people to think outside the state and to getting them to think about how solutions to life's problems can happen uh, without that violent monopoly on force. 100%. And, you know, your your work, you know, um, you philosopher, your collaboration, it definitely like it's 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 more easily digestible than some other content. Some content is like forcing like a giant missile sized red pill down your throat and, and you guys are very tactful in how you drop your message. Um, and I think that's why it's so well received by the people who check out your stuff. Like immediately when I, when I showed the video to um, the crew over here, they're like, dude, this shit's fucking awesome. And like, it spells it out in a way like that's not like, it's not like sometimes like the, um, the rap music and like other other art around this can be a little like overly cringy. Um, like, and, and I think that you guys have a, like a good baseline of like, you get the information out, but you also like get that you're making like a hip hop song. So it's still like listenable and fun. And if you weren't completely like getting into the lyrics, you could still sit there and nod to it. Like the production and everything is like a one. So it's pretty incredible um, what you guys are producing. And, and, you know, speaking of that, like you, you've written some books. I know that there's a book on Amazon, the definitive guide to libertarian voluntarianism. All right, there it is. So <laughs> I can be like prepared. So more prepared than us. So go figure. Ooh, oh, multiple cameras. So we're getting smoked on our own shows here, boys. <laughs> Franklin, Franklin, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to step it up, man. Up Jack, back, Jack yeah. is showing us a whole new world. Like I'm taking notes. I'm taking notes here. <laughs> All right. So maybe we'll move past um, duct tape and uh, crazy glue holding everything together over here. Um, <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about like um, the conception of the book and and like how that came to be and if you had to like summarize the message, like if, if, if you wanted to like do like an elevator pitch to like the audience, um, you know, like what, what do you want them to walk away from after the experience of reading the book? If you can like impart that on them. Sure. I mean, I would, I would just open with a, a quick question, which is who owns you? And with that, it's, it's an important question because most people would want to reflexively say, well, I own me, right? I, I should be the one who's like, yeah, it's, it's my body. I, I get to choose what I should do with it. Nobody else, right? But very quickly, people rationalize through collectivism and, and other types of, uh, I guess you could say heuristics or abstractions. They rationalize giving up their self-ownership, that is you know, their ultimate right to their body and, and decide what goes on with it um, to other people or to, or to mob rule. And so my book encapsulates the core principles of voluntarism and libertarianism, which is really the ethics of consent meeting the uh, ethics of property rights. So it's this idea of trying to figure out, okay, who owns what and why, and how do you treat others ethically that is actually based on consent, peaceable trade, 
Um, and of course, this thing called the non-aggression principle, which is about, you know, just not initiating force against others, physical force that is their body or, you know, stuff and things like that. So my book goes over those core principles. It goes over their applications in a very succinct way, but informative. And it's, it's very, I guess you could say, logically sound, but relatable. So I'm not belaboring the point and giving a million different examples, but I go through the, the core information that someone could read, you know, any lay person could just read it and be like, oh, okay, I, I get this now. I, under, I understand. And, and really empathetically think about their own life and be like, oh yeah, you know, I, I kind of do, that is kind of what I want. And I think why it's so easy to do is because there's this one core principle that is inescapable. And that is that you cannot want your consent to be violated. It's just not possible. The act of wanting something to happen is the act of consenting, right? You, if you want something, right, you can't <laughs> want to have your consent violated. Like it just makes no sense, right? So at a it's bare a paradox, minimum, everybody yeah. has this idea, <laughs> right? Wow, that, that is a, my stone brain right now is about to pour out of my ear canal. So that was <laughs> profound. That's, I mean, hey, that, that just, that's a testament to how, how far it can go. It can go to the deepest of highness. It can reach. See, this makes me wish that the politician, like, I feel like, you know, half of the people read 1984 and they're like, oh my God, that's horrifying. And like the other half ended up in Congress. They're like, this is cool, dude. This is like a manual for how to like do double speak and all this stuff. The, the, the ministry of truth. Love it. Let's do it. And right. um, they, they should have grabbed your book because it seems to make a lot more sense. Um, you know, our, out of the, the the projects that you've been working on, you know, I'm sure the book is very special to you because it really gets down into like the nuts and bolts of things that are actionable that we can do to help, you know, elevate society to to something greater than what it is. Um, out of out of your your content and, and art and everything that you're working on, what what would you say is like your passion project right now um, that that you're the most excited with? Is it, you know, and um, you know, to to piggyback on that too, you know. We noticed that you do a lot of your work, you know, alongside, you know, philosopher. Um, how did that, you know, um, working relationship and everything like come to be? And um, where do we find groups of people like you guys? Because it's it's like rare to find people that are like grounded and 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 based in this way. Um, there seems to be like, you know, we're in South Florida, so where where we're at, like um, a lot of people drink the Kool Aid on both sides, and you know. The, the, the Fox addicts don't realize that they're getting played just as much as the CNN and MSNBC addicts and um, free thinking seems to kind of be in short supply. So if you want to talk to those, uh, those points, I'd, I'd love that. Yeah. So right now the, the project I'm most excited about that I'm working on is the 10th year anniversary of my comic book series. So that comic book series is called voluntarist. So I, I've always been a comic book fan, you know, superhero fan kind of thing. And uh, over the years, I eventually got to a point where I was like, you know, maybe I could um, I could do something with this where I combine the principles of liberty into, you know, some type of like superhero genre kind of thing. And I started to work on a film script. And then as I was working on it, I was like, hmm, you know, doing this right, it's, it's going to cost a lot of money. I don't know if I can do this well right off the bat at, you know, at a, at a reasonable budget. So like, what could I do instead? So I was like, Oh, comic books, you know, it's kind of the in-between medium of, of a novel and like something that's just pure art with like motion pictures. It's kind of an in-between stage and it's not as costly. So I was like, okay. So I decided to reform it for that. And then, uh, just 
ran with it and just have been building it up over these past 10 years. And uh, this year we're having the sixth issue in the origin story. That's a canon story being made. It's already fully funded on Indiegogo and we're, we're hitting actually now the second stretch goal. So we're about, you know, to hit that. Congrats, and man. I'm taking wow. oh, thank you. the, um, the full origins arc and putting it into a trade paperback. So we're doing a little bit of remastering the first two issues to bring it into uniformity. And then we're also going to, you know, take all that and put it into a single kind of a uh, thicker comic book title um, in addition to that issue. So it's pretty cool. It's um, definitely something that is not like really anything you ever seen out there. <laughs> it's, it's definitely unique. It's not like the SJW stuff coming out of, you know, Disney and Netflix and, and, you know, Amazon, the boys and stuff. It's just, to me, it, I just find it kind of comedic that, you know, with everything going on, these people keep doubling down on their SJW tropes and their, you know, socialist tropes that they keep trying to put in these shows. And it just keeps bringing more opportunity to people who are in this, you know, what's called the comics gate uh, scene. It's people who have exited the comic book industry who are just tired of, you know, just changing the sex or the gender or the, you know, the color of a character and just, you know, whatever swapping they need to do to try to pander for the sake of, oh, we're, you know, we're going to be more woke. Instead of just writing good stories and coming with new characters, they want to, you know, do that. So people got mm -hmm. tired of it. And I was definitely a part of that way, you know, back in 2012, um, you know, even before it was very big. And, you know, now I'm kind of reaping the rewards of being someone who was, you know, early to the game of uh, saying, hey, you know, there is something better to do than what y'all been doing. Uh, you know, just bringing back the same old hack and nine tropes, but now just making it all SJWA. So, yeah, it's uh it's painful to watch most things that are produced by the, the any mainstream. You like, like, you know, like you think like you, when you see like Amazon originals and this one, it's all the same crap. It's the same, you know, 12 producers, you know, just running around with the same format and then just throwing whatever messaging down your fucking throat. So you puke, um, with, with the comic books, um, Where do you see that going? Do you think you're going to get to a point where you're going to be able to connect on something where you can maybe make a live action or maybe do like an animated thing? Like, what do you think the final push is for that? Because, you know, just from, you know, the, the cursory look at it and, you know, I do plan on picking up the comics and, and kind of getting into, I've never been a comic person, but I'm very interested in, you know, the story. And, and honestly, I think one of the reasons why I've, you know, you, you'd even ask my wife, like, my whole life when I was a kid, when I was five, I hated Disney. My mom thought I was broken and like, but I would point shit out. I'm like, you know, like we we're watching the Lion King and I'm like, ma, I'm like, why does, why does the girl line like look like he's trying to, you know, do things with the boy line and their cousins. And she's like, why are you fucking even paying attention? To that? I'm like, cause it's fucking weird. Like, again, like it goes back to like being called old man. So like, um, I've always kind of had a distaste for the, the, like, you know, the Hollywood magic. I've always kind of like, it always like felt weird to me. I always like the like the weird out like Kentucky Fried movie, like the weird out there shit that like you could tell that the uh, that the censors and like other people didn't want to get to screen because it was like too you know independent thought alert you know alarms might go off and stuff like that. What do you think the end game is for for this project? Do you think you're going to be able to get it to like an animated, um, whether it's like a short or like a feature film or, so, or like what do you think that uh, that's going to be like? Yeah, I mean, that's always the goal. I, I'm taking it to as far as it'll go, and I'm always going to keep working on it. I've been working on it for 10 years, and the hope is to have a fully fleshed comic book universe that keeps on going and eventually gets to the point of something like Invincible was for Amazon, where you know it's able to be turned into um, an animated series with a pilot, and who knows, maybe even a live action one day. I just think that 
you know, in order to get there, it just requires, you know, diligence and never giving up kind of thing. And that's just something I've always carried with me is I've always learned from mistakes, grown, tried to improve the whole way and, you know, have consistently gone through that process year after year after year to get to the point that I'm at today. And so I'm very thankful to everybody who helped make that happen because uh, the way I've done it has been through crowdsource fundraising and, you know, without those people really believing me and, and being true fans, I wouldn't have gotten as far as I have now with, you know, having the last five campaigns be over hundred percent funded uh, for the comic book series. So it's, it's definitely looking up and I have, uh, you know, other products too in the works too, that, you know, kind of circle in and out. Like for example, in the music, a video that I did not uh, concept music video at the end, there's like a tie in with our suits, the energy that actually ties in the comics. So with all my different kind of universe creations, there's, there's Easter eggs uh, in different places. So <laughs> that's awesome. That's the philosophers. Awesome. Yeah. There, Oh, there is, there's like a, a whole thing with that too. Like other characters like fall versus gun grabbing zombies and other, you know, stuff like that that we have, you know, artwork for in this set. So I love that's it. Fantastic. That was definitely neat at the end of the, the video where you open your the shirts and show the chests. I was I was watching, I'm like, oh, this is kind of unique. And I'm like, I don't know what it has to do with the song, but, but you know, you're bringing it full circle there. So, so I love it. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things meant to make you go, okay, what's that connected to? But everything we do, we try to like tie it into other uh, creative projects and the things we have. So we have a bunch of different outlets of things that we do. And some people are like, oh that's you like they don't even know because some of the identities are so distinct and unique that people don't cross it over until eventually like they're like oh wait 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 you're that too like <laughs> so it's a lot of fun yeah i mean it sounds like you have a creative ecosystem which is yeah. pretty incredible and as video game fans like you know we love easter eggs and like stuff like that like kind of thrown into our media so like um that's that's really cool and um you know as as we get more familiar with your content and and you know the stuff that you've put out like you know you start to become like in on the joke like that's like i think a lot of the fun of of you know and and it's cool because everything else is like homogenized and it's like spoon tip fed to you in a certain way it's really cool to get like that raw organic unfiltered um you know lens and like scope from from a creative artist like a lot of what makes it to people like people think things are edgy and cool. And it's like, man, that went through so many screenings of people and you know, the right brands had to get their product placement and this and that it's, it's really great to see that part of the parallel economy idea. That's kind of like coming into fruition now is um, also like content and like breaking away from, you know, the Holly weird, you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, this is the portion of the show where we kind of do like a little ad break. So, you know, I wanted to let everybody know Jack's book's available on Amazon. Um, go pick that up. And, you know, again, this is, uh, he's going to be holding it up right there. Libertarian Voluntarism, Jack Lloyd, um, beautiful cover art, black and yellow, black and yellow. Love it. Um, Volcomic.com if you want to check out the comics. And um, I believe Indiegogo is where you're, um, you have your fundraiser for the next stretch goal, right? You had three stretch goals I think you were trying to... Yeah, I had initial three stretch goals and it, those get broken more will be added. But right now we've already passed. We I did a one bonus thing for reaching goal and then a stretch goal that's already been passed. And now we're throttling toward the next stretch goal. So we'll see what happens. But it's pretty cool to see so many people just want to keep pushing it and you know have more things unlocked for it. So 
Awesome. Well, what are some other, um, you know, places or like uh, platforms you want to drive some people to to check out your stuff, uh, whether it's to purchase or to like check out just like random content like the YouTube stuff? Sure. Like the philosopher.com. That's P H O L O. So like philosopher, but with an O instead. So that's, uh, you know, fuzz channel. That's my wife's channel. She, um, has, you know, links to all of her different social media stuff, like, you know, Facebook, mine, YouTube, all this other stuff. So that's a, that's a good hub besides uh, the vol comic for my comic book, comic book website. So awesome. So yeah, the big thing, like, you know, we're, we, we are, um, we don't do any sort of uh, super chats or anything like that. We don't take donations over here. So um, anybody watching, listening, and you like content like this, you like to hear from interesting people like Jack and uninteresting, crazy, brain-damaged people like myself, you can go ahead and visit www.freshlybased.com um, and, you know, we feel like, you know, get something for your money. So we have a lot of different gear and stuff like that. Um Real quick, everybody, just so you can see on the screen, this is volcomic.com. Here's uh, purchase print comics. You can check out everything here. You can follow along with the social media and, and check everything out there. I don't here, know if they, uh, you're presenting. I'm showing I'm showing the website on OBS. Ah, right, right, right. Yes. <laughs> and, and here's uh, freshlybased.com. If you like offensive, out there, in-your-face shirts that allows you to wear your heart on your sleeve, this is a great place to go and get them. We started this business as a head shop and the t-shirts really took off. Um, you know, in our line of work, there's a lot of people who drink the liberal Kool-Aid, but um, as it turns out, a lot of um, people in the 420 space are freedom loving savages and the t-shirts sold more than the bongs and everything. So go figure. And here we are today as freshly based. So everybody that's been supporting us and you know picking stuff up, thank you so much. We appreciate that you're joining us for the ride and that you can put up with crazy people like us. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. So back to my man, Jack over here. So I wanted to bring up some topics, you know, I feel like we kind of like got a nice bird's eye view of, you know, who you are, what you're about, you know, some of the core tenets of what you believe and like how you, you know, came to those, um, you know, philosophies and, and those ideals. Um, now it's kind of like, I want to talk about clown world with you. Cause I feel like you'd have such an interesting take on certain things. So first and foremost, like, what are your thoughts on Trump? Like, do you think the MAGA movement and, you know, the war against the deep state is legit and it's a good thing. Or do you think that maybe he's in cahoots with these people and he's helping um, usher things in, but just from a different angle? Like what do you, what's your vibe on Trump and, and what, what his place is in all this in the MAGA movement? Sure. So when it comes to Trump, uh, for me, I always had just looked at the information about him uh, from his history and his past actions, his past words, his past associations, you know, it, I don't obviously know him personally on a <laughs> name basis or anything like that. I don't know what's inside his head. So I can only judge based on the things that he says and the actual actions that he does. And a lot of people were hopeful about him um, in, in terms of that, you know, they saw him as anti-establishment. They thought that he might really change things away from the deep state control. Um, I think that they misinterpreted what his position was as relates to all those people. And my understanding is that Trump's um, disfavor with those people 
is not necessarily because their objectives are totally against each other, but uh, it's more just personality differences. So Trump is really, of course, into himself and loves to make things look great. You know, he, you know, is very smart. He's very business savvy. And the way that he runs his businesses and his organizations in terms of, you know, the product offerings, how he treats employees and things like that. Um, he has, you know, a really great reputation, you know, minus some of the, maybe the sexual stuff he's done with different people under NDAs. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the thing is, is that his bent is about glorifying himself. He wants to be seen as the savior. He wants to be seen as, as the strong man who, um, I guess you could say, uh, made things great in America again. So the the problem is, is that he, you know, d doesn't necessarily have uh, the economics or ethical understandings, you know, even if, you know, he had, a, I guess you could say, a halfway independent interest of really trying to care about everybody. Uh, I, I don't think that he has uh, the understandings to do that uh, ethically and correct. And I think that the evidence of that is pretty clear at this point for anyone who's tracked what Trump ultimately did. He did do some, you know, relatively good things like, you know, the cutting taxes in the beginning. Um, his judicial appointments were better than, you know, many others because he picked FedSoc people. Um, but he signed two omnibus spending bills, the second of which he signed after saying he wouldn't again. He, he literally tweeted saying, oh, we'll never do this again. He does it again. Yeah. So that's four plus trillion dollars added uh, to the debt. He added the Space Force, which is a whole new government agency. And one of the uh, worst things that he did, of course, that I think people have been very angry at him, and visibly so at many of his rallies, is that he is responsible for Operation War Speed. He really can take credit for that. He really led the way um, for that program. He was the one who put the government funding and the executive you know, branch to that end. And he continued to promote the shots for you know the next you know couple of years essentially um to, to the tune of booze of people booing him at his own rallies so when you think about it you know he could be considered relatively better maybe than some of the other really evil people like you know obviously evil clintons um but i i don't believe that his uh, knowledge or his actions to me lend a, a, a truly uh, unique uh, ethical understanding of how things work and i think that um and this is just from me, you know, talking with Roger Stone, that his uh, his actions of trying to insulate himself from outsiders, um, you know, kept him in his own very small echo chamber because, you know, in an attempt to be like not wanting to be lobbied, then everybody else who wanted to lobby him would go to people who was his connections and, you know, people around him to try to, you know, navigate through to get to him. Um, but I think that he shut himself out from uh, information otherwise and then continued to, you know, keep up support for Fauci and and all these really you know terrible people and I, I just I don't know that he has uh, learned enough or had a heart change in any meaningful sense uh, since then personally just because again the evidence to me um, would be in the rhetoric and actions and you know he still supports his uh, Operation Warp Speed quite, quite clearly and um, doesn't seem to have you know much sense of, of the economic issues, especially with his tariffs and things like that. So, you know, to me, that's that's how I personally perceive it in terms of his past you know, actions. You know, and as you know, before this, he was loved by the establishment. He was a successful um, actor and media personality. He would go on everybody's shows. He was an entertainer. He would do Saturday Night Live. I mean, everybody was otherwise cool with him because he would do everything he could to, you know, 
be involved and get his name out there. If he, there was a production he could be a part of, he wanted to be part of it. Um, and I know some of that too, from, you know, family that's in, in, uh, in film. Um, so, you know, that he just really wants to glorify himself, but by making everybody have a good time. So he wants to be the person who's a center of attention, but make everybody be like, Oh wow, this guy's really great. He's really helped us out. But again, that that's a nice thought and all, but there's there to say that and really understanding ethics and economics, um, which to me, he abundantly <laughs> clearly does not. So, uh, you know, that's, that's basically my wrap on that. Yeah. I, I feel you, you know, one of the things that I thought about operation warp speed was a lot of the democratic States wanted to shut down. And I think in some way, you know, whether or not people go down the Q rabbit hole or what they think about that, like Q did mention in one of the posts that like you do have to, you know, people have to see how bad things are in order to accept changing it and raising it and doing something different. And when I think about like Operation Warp Speed, um, one of the things that Trump's fan, like base has been accused of is being a monolith. Like if Trump said, jump off a bridge, everybody would be like Trump, Trump, Trump. And then fucking like, like the lemmings in the Disney uh, <laughs> film, just like kind of like fall off the, uh, the ledge. But part of me thinks that there could be the possibility that he was between a rock and a hard place. And before that, at the GE warehouse, at one of his rallies, he said he was going to piss off big pharma and then he might have to disappear for a while because he did a favored nations um, uh, stipulation and executive order to where like if Germany paid 10 cents for this pill, that's the price America gets because he saw other countries were getting favor, you know, more favorable prices on medication. But meanwhile, you're producing it and operating out of the U S so he made a claim that like, you know, I have, you know, basically a target on my back. I might have to disappear. So what an interesting way to frame on like a mass level, the, you know, Pfizer's Moderna's, the Johnson and Johnson's, and also people like Fauci, the NIH and the corrupt CDC, um, then, you know, pushing this forward. Like sometimes I think about like martyrdom and how some people will like fall on the sword in order to move something forward. That's bigger than themselves. Um, not saying that this is, you know, you know, you know, what happened or even, you know, probable, but, you know, part of me thinks that maybe he went along with this because he knew that a, we would see that the vaccines are hurting people. And also that COVID's, you know, eventually was, you know, way blown out of proportion and we weren't given an honest story. And it was, it was either let the, the blue state shut down and completely tank the economy or, do this, you know, some people would have adverse, you know, effects from the, the vaccines, um, but still we would stay open. So we'd be able to continue to like, you know, produce revenue as a country, um, you know, so I think like, you know, if you're talking about like, you know, they, they talk about like 5D chess, like conspiracy level, you know, thinking like, you know, it's it's far out there, but. Why, like, I wonder, like, why else would he push that uh, aside from wanting to block, like, them shutting down the economy? Because, like, some places wanted to shut down for a whole month, some places indefinitely longer. And having the vaccine in place was like, well, now there's a vaccine, there's no reason to shut down, so you can't fucking tank the economy. So when you're playing chess with people that, you know, if, like, I don't know how you feel about 9-11, but there's definitely a lot of creepy things around that and the people who made money off of that and George Bush's reaction on that day. So I do believe in false flags and, and that the government will definitely, you know, and especially like the deep state side of the government will hurt its own people 
to make a point. I wonder if there's kind of like this tit for tat, not saying it's ethical or right. And like, you know, but in that too, also proving like his fans boo him like shit. Like, you know, we, we sat there and we're like, the fuck is this guy talking about? And he's like, you know, my vaccines, the great vaccines. Like, you know, we we're like, dude, shut the fuck up. Like, you know, people are having like people are dropping dead on fucking soccer fields and shit. Like they you know, 20 years old. Um, but you know, part of me thinks that like we're seeing something in in this epic of time like that is beyond like our comprehension like what comes to mind is like truth is stranger than fiction and sometimes when things don't make sense on the the surface there's something going on behind the scenes to where like if you know that that little snippet of information something that topically seems to make no sense starts to make sense does it make it right no but like you know, you start to at least understand like why somebody who seemingly seems rational and most of the time their decision making seems okay could make, you know, such a fucking crazy decision, you know, seemingly, um, you know, that's, that's just like a take that I've had on it to, to, you know, try to look at it in a different lens. Cause you know, being accused of like having like a cult, like, you know, the, the MAGA cult. Well, if you're in a cult, no one boos the leader at a cult, you know, no one was, was going up to, um, you know, the, the cats at Waco from their own camp going, fuck you, David Koresh. Like, you know, everyone was on board with, you know, his magical mystery tour. So, I don't know. It's just something that, like, I think about, you know, what do you, speaking of that, like, what do you think of, like, the whole Q thing? Do you think that was part of a government psyop? Do you think it was, like, a prank by some, like, you know, dudes on the internet? You know, there's a lot of things that were called out through that that seemed to be, like, sort of in play a lot of disinformation in that too like what do you think of all that yeah i i mean i can't prove or disprove all the different voices who acted you know at in in that q sense uh to me i just you know very simply look at it as what's being said and what comes to pass and what doesn't and i would say that by and large most of that information was a bunch of nonsense bunk right like i i mean i've seen plenty of it like oh you know trump's gonna come back in after the january 6th thing and he's gonna like you know magically like be able to come into office and joe biden's not gonna you know be president and all kinds of stuff like this so to me it, it's i think it's um probably uh people preying on the gullibility of others and wanting to believe that something is going to happen that's going to save them in that sense and I, I understand why people would want to believe that i understand why it'd be so alluring to think that there's going to be some saving at the last moment that you know yeah he's going to come in he's going to wipe out the deep state that kind of thing uh but i think that the standards for thinking about what is true or false need to be really held fast to and that's you know part of what i promote too in terms of philosophy is thinking through things with reason and evidence and thinking about things, you know, logically and and showing uh, through argument what it is that is uh, true or false, what is true, you know, demonstrable or not. And so, um, you know, independent of that, the government definitely has, you know, CIA and FBI agents who post stuff online and and do stuff like that. They do operations. They work with patsies. I mean, even the people at um, the you know the Whitmer kidnapping, like. Half of those dudes were were like FBI agents or informants. Like so, you know, this is a very common thing for the government to uh, set up entrapment schemes and to try to bait people online and do stuff. So, you know, I, I think that being able to have discernment about those things 
uh, stems from just looking at specifically what does one actually know, what can one actually prove, and what are the actual patterns of action, right? What are the what are the things that you can yourself see and observe over time? And that to me, that's where I use my judgment, and that's where I limit myself. And that's why you know, for me, when you see Trump being booed and he's you know promoting the shot, to me, I see that as him wanting to take credit and be seen as great for coming up with that program because he thought that he was so amazing that he could somehow try to push through an expedient, um, you know, pushing past, you know, some, some normal safety, uh, testing an expedient shot, um, and, and get that out on the market. Like he wanted to have that credit and, you know, obliviously he, tries to promote himself on that, not realizing <laughs> that people are not uh, buying into that for very good reasons. So, you know, that, that that's really, when it comes to those things, I, I stick to what it is that um, I have evidence for and what I can prove and where it's not, you know, I'll entertain fun thoughts or theories, but I don't live by those things. I, I, I try to work in the realms of, uh, of, of things that are more tangible for myself. Fair enough. Yeah, that's all fair. I mean, it's, for me, it's hard to, to, I can't believe what I'm getting fed. Like, I know that there's something going on behind, behind closed doors that I'm not privy to, to where my understanding, if it's based on what everyone else is getting shown, that there's, there's other things at work that are, you know, not, not going to be obvious. You know, the art of war, all warfare is based on deception. So there's got to be some level of, of fuckery. So like, one of the things that like stuck out to me was um, I think his name is Christopher Miller. Um, he was given like a high ranking in like the DOJ right before Trump uh, left office. And he said an interesting thing to, to Pence um, on an interview or like some, some news thing where he said, um, you know, I'm very excited to be involved in what's, you know, the most um, prolific sting operation of our time. And like it was a very interesting thing to say because they didn't talk. There was no context of what sting operation or what they were doing. And like, what a interesting thing to say. And then you know the follow up to that. You know, two three months later, you know January sixth and all the craziness. You know happened there. Um, you know, I I feel like there's there has to be more play than what we're fed, and we have a dishonest media. So even more so, like I I I. Where I get lost with Trump and where I'm like, I, I don't know what his fucking deal is, is the Patriot Act. The Patriot Act to me is like the one thing that like if someone was to come into office and really be about it, they would abolish that right off the bat. They'd be like, no more of the spying on fucking people. This is ridiculous. Let's get rid of that. And he had four years to, to you know, wage war on that. And, you know, that, that never happened. So... Any president that continues or doesn't at least like rally the troops against that mass surveillance fucking, you know, creepy 1984 Big Brother, you know, uh, complex. Like I I have a hard time like putting all my my weight and energy behind, you know, that person. I don't believe in representative government, so it's really hard for me to, to get behind anybody. But, you know, he's an interesting figure. Nonetheless, you know, he's been kind of beefing with Elon Musk. They've been going back and forth. He's been alluding to Elon Musk being, you know, a bit of a dipshit trying to buy Twitter, knowing that there's probably a ton more bots than what they reported. 
um, and that the purchase might be illegal. And I think that kind of comes down to what you were talking about, where Trump is a bit of an egomaniac and his truth social is kind of there. It's there. It's kind of floundering ish, but it's there. Um, uh, what do you think about this Elon buying Twitter and this like this weird like dissension in the ranks among these like billionaire types in the country? Yeah, Bezos kind of going after the federal government, talking shit to like Marcus. Like it's it's getting a little weird out there for like these these billionaires are. It, it's it's a little strange. Like you know, then you have like the Bill Gates camp, and we all know how lovely and wonderful that guy is what 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 are your like thoughts on like the elon musk twitter deal and and like uh the 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 billionaire beef that we're seeing with with these people sure so um elon musk uh, to me uh at least from his history and from things that he said um and, and you can look this up too i think if you pull up Elon Musk's, uh, you know, World Economic Forum tweets. It's it's a comparison of many things that he said. They align with uh, many of the Great Reset uh, agenda ideals. And yep. Elon's, you know, promotion of his, uh, you know, Neuralink and uh, his his desire to, I think, both get interplanetary and to have human beings connect, um, you know, and have a symbiotic relationship with machines. I think hints at uh, where he's really going with everything. So I think, I think he wants Twitter personally because uh, again, it's just me analyzing what you know he's saying. No personal uh, knowledge in his head. Sure. It's just him wanting to be able to control his narrative and output uh, in terms of reaching people. He has a very big following, of course, on Twitter, and him being able to promote his projects there in a more controlled manner. I think uh, would help his his goals it would help expedite uh, the funding and consensus of people being on board with his goals and you know i think probably to some extent he at least from his, what he stated about the um the symbiotic relationship with machines i think he is exploring the ex to the extent whether he will need to get off the planet before there's a world war three type event and he's wondering <laughs> to what extent He'll need to preserve his consciousness, uh, you know, based on on the risk factors. So I think, uh, you know, in that realm, he is a, a transhumanist. He is someone who I think is is thinking about the future and being able to, um, you know, preserve himself, whether it's on this planet or outside and in in, a, in other forms. And I can understand where he's coming from, at least from the knowledge basis. That is the enticing idea of being able to have your mind connected to the world's information like imagine being able to think and then boom you know an answer to something like imagine how crazy that would be so i, I like the concept of that abstractly but i understand that with it of course there's nefarious uses and you know as with technology there's benign uses and then there's technology that you know, can be used to oppress people. Like you think of the Chinese government and the social credit system and what they've done to monitor and track people. So um, while Elon has said a lot of seemingly positive things about, you know, the market and free speech, you know, he's also said many favorable things about universal basic income. Um, he's obviously talked about carbon tax. He's talked about, uh, you know, shots um, and, and of course, knurling stuff. So for me, you know, I, I just, I just look at what he does with a lot of skepticism um, but interest, of course, I'm very curious about the technology itself, but the the, uh, the totality of what is being done, you know, has serious implications. And I don't necessarily 
shun those implications the idea of like trying to merge you know people and machine in a sense of like having that ability but i understand that with that comes some very dangerous great risks and you know obviously people are worried about there being some type of terminator situation right (laughs) (laughs) like oh okay great and now the machines are gonna wipe out humans kind of crap so that's a real concern but i mean humans also wipe out humans so you know we have many different threats to to face and and deal with and that's why i think the uh voluntary spent is so important to promote because no matter what's made uh, i think having those values in mind of non-aggression and trying to not harm others is is tantamount here so you know so it's got to be the forefront of anything so i love it i know tonight i'm gonna probably be laying in bed just listening for like dun 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 <laughs> <laughs> Thinking Elon Musk is gonna bust through the fucking door. Right. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, like you know, one of the things that I I try to I, I try to ground myself in, and you know, again, this is coming from you know a crazy pothead on the internet, you know, not from an expert or anything, but you know, I if you would have taken me at like you know twenty four years old or like you know twenty, um, I was pretty dumb, and I thought some dumb things, and I I. And I backed some dumb ideas and, um, you know, if someone judged me on what I said 10 years ago or even, you know, like sometimes I even think like five years ago, I'm pretty sure I've put my foot in my fucking mouth a few times. Right. Um, one of the things that I try to keep in mind is that although rare people do have changes of heart and see like the error in their way, or they maybe see like the logical fallacy and things that they had, you know, once thought. So when I when I look at someone like Elon or you know any of these characters, there's a part of me that thinks like it's improbable, but it is possible that something affected them in such a way. You know, like to your point, we for the first time I think ever we're really seeing on open display how despicable the government is on both sides: the Rhino Republicans, the crazy you know like. Um, socialist communist democrat you know like we're and it's like on full display it's almost like the uh the veil is gone so i think to myself like with with all of this on full display like i had friends that um you know two years ago a good buddy of mine um he was hardcore left wing you know all the normal left wing tropes and january 6th was the thing that made him like red pill himself and then we like continued to talk about those things. And I had him like check out the cue boards and I said, don't look at the anons. I go, don't look at what they say because anons are crazy autistic people like me. Like, so we're going to say some shit out of the side of our head because we've been listening to Alex Jones all night and like we're all amped up and like just look at what cue posts and then check that against certain things that are happening and, and see like, you know, if you see any correlation and like to that point, like some, but like it really got him thinking like, yeah, dude, like we should have guns. And then he purchased his first firearms and like started going to the range. And then he started thinking about like abortion and he's like, oh, what a fucking cop out. And it's funny, like he he kind of has like a similar stance to me because he used to be liberal where he's like, I personally don't like abortion, but I think like if if people want to do those things and there's doctors who want to do that and people want to pay for that out of their own pocket, not compelling taxpayers to pay for their procedure, then as much as I don't like it, that's kind of like the cost of freedom is that other people are going to use their freedom in ways that maybe don't make you feel too great, but you have the autonomy to not, you know, to not partake in that, you know? And like, um, this is a dude that 
you couldn't get him to budge otherwise. But it was like the actions of the world around us like led that person down that road. And then like something as preposterous and strange as Q at least got them thinking outside of like the bubble, like you know, like the the acceptable thought bubble. And while there's you know, there's tons of crazy bullshit out there that's completely fucking off the wall. But it's just sometimes it's like you know, like when you're having a creative session, you'll come up with some ideas and you'll be like that's fucking nuts. I'm not going to put this in the comic book or in the song, but I'm glad that we got that out. I'm glad we got to work through that. And that was at least like a moment. Like, I feel like that was what this guy like went through. And there's more people that as time has gone on the past three years, like they've really changed their tune and like what they think and believe. And a part of me feels like that we can't discount that. So even though Elon's mega rich, his, you know, ex Grimes is like, you know, kind of seedy, you know, they hang out with like the Illuminati weirdos, you know, the, that whole crew, um, Travis Scott, the Kardashians, Kanye and all them, um, you know, that someone could like have a change of heart. Like if, if you believe in like the, the, the Ghislaine Maxwell Epstein, like weird occult ritual, child sex abuse shit, um, or like the, the Pizzagate stuff and like. I'm sure that there for every person that's went there and been bribed and, you know, you know, went along with things because, you know, power and status and all this is more important than, you know, your humanity. Um, I'm sure that there's some people that they're presented with that and they're like, oh, fuck, I need to get out of here and I need to fucking let people know that this shit's not right. So I, I have hope for people like Elon who maybe saw some things on the other side and were like, yeah, that's not cool, and, like, how to change a heart, but I don't know, like, it's, I, do you think, do you think, honestly, like, where we're at right now in in this, in this timeline that, you know, we're going to see any sort of return to sanity, or do you think this thing's going to continue to fall off the rails and combust? Well, I mean, Tying into what you're just talking about, about waking others up even at the high levels and people um, defecting, I think that is absolutely critical. If we don't have people who are going to exit at the highest levels, if they're if if they don't rebel, um, you know, think like for example, Snowden, right? That's an example of someone whistleblowing it and, and, you know, kind of tooting the horn, letting people know if we don't have that, we are pretty screwed. <laughs> we, we will be pretty screwed because um, obviously these people in the government have all kinds of crazy tools, at their disposal from bioweapons to nuclear weapons, you know, it's, it's, and the, you know, what they have with all the data and, and spying and X key score and searching that it's, it's pretty hefty. So um, we're definitely going to need to change some minds if we're going to survive. Uh, and I think it is possible and it, it will be necessary because right now uh, what, what you're saying with how things have ramped up, um, my interpretation of why it's been so ramped up is that the people who are part of the great reset regime, these are people who are all on the same, uh, ideological bent that they're trying to control the world's you know, population, reduce it. Um, they're trying to get people to live with less in that process to get people under greater control, move them closer to the cities. So they're more easy to, to spy on a monitor. Um, those people kind of are, are kids or grandkids of people who lived during the American eugenics movement in the early 20th century. So 
these people are getting up there in age. And, you know, if you, you can see that right now with the people who are in Congress, they're very old. Yeah, <laughs> I really old. And... Basically in the, in the grave already. I mean, Joe Biden should be in the grave already. Um, <laughs> or somehow keep the real alive. one might be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's really, it's incredible. I, I want to know what, what uh, kind of, you know, neurotropics are giving him. I want some of that stuff to what they keep, do to keep him alive. Cause it's, I mean, he, he's definitely deep in, in the Alzheimer's of sports. So, Apparently, it's just lots of ice cream. Yeah, lots of ice cream, right? <laughs> yeah, with adrenal glands yeah. in it. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, the free version, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so these people are uh, getting up there in age, and they're desperate to get their plans fulfilled. They'd like to see it done before they die. Of course, many people have been trying to get, you know, life extension, eternal life, doing whatever they can. Uh, but you know, there's limitations, at least with the current technology, no matter how hard they've been trying to, you know, fund life extension technology. So in this desperation, that's why a lot of this has been revealed, uh, you know, in terms of why it's become more on the face and why some people are now like finally waking up to stuff, you know, with, you know, child trafficking rings and Epstein and other stuff like that. It's because the desperation of the people in power um, is, is coming to a head. They're, they're really trying to get in their life's vision um, with the Great Reset and Agenda 21, which, you know, turned to Agenda 2030 because they couldn't do it by 21, which yep. is a great sign, right? That they had to move it another nine years. Uh, it was a pretty awesome sign at how they've failed. Um, and the UN sustainable, you know, 17 goals and stuff like that. It's, it's all, it's all a, um, a public facing agenda that they are, you know, kind of promulgating to, you know, the first tier and second tier people who are in institutions, uh, you know, that are, are favorable to them, especially in academia and stuff like that and the media. So, um, I, you know, that, that's just really it is that I think we're going to see things get worse, but because they're so desperate and are getting so flagrant, the, there is a reaction, right? There's an action, there's a reaction. And the good news is that, with it being so sharp, um, it's caused a lot of people to wake up as your friend has. And, you know, some of the evidences that you could think about are what happened with everything in 2020 and all the the riots and, you know, places being burned down and police just letting it happen while saying, oh, you know, if you go to a protest, it's okay, but you can't have, you know, your family Thanksgiving. So, you know, people started to be like, wait, what the heck? And then, you know, just being like, oh, well, it's, it's up to you to defend yourselves. And all of a sudden the people without guns in California, like, wait, what? Like, wait, the cops aren't coming. Like they suddenly realized f- through firsthand experience that self-defense was at the individual level. Yep. I can't rely on anybody else. So, um, you know, I, I think that the evidence is all there that people have responded to the, uh, extreme controls of the state and, and, and what's been going on. And I think that that will continue and needs to continue. Um, we, we actually almost need, unfortunately for things to get bad, so that you have enough motivation for people to respond and change. And that's, that's always been, you know, the catch right too here is that what, you know, when everything's kind of seemingly good, when they, when they take just a little bit of time, they take your freedom a little bit of time, people get comfortable, they can get acclimated. But when it's super fast and abrupt and the government suddenly shuts everything down, well, that has consequences, right? People are like, okay, um, you know, what the hell are you doing in my life? And especially when it's like, they keep moving, you know, the carrot and stick, like, oh, okay, yeah, you just need one shot. Oh, now you need two, now you need three. And people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, you said if I get my first and second, we're good. Like, what the heck? So uh, I think that, you know, they overplayed their hands because they're desperate uh, to get these types of plans down. And that reaction is, is coming to fruition. And I think, you know, even the work that you guys do is, is an example of that. All these other alt, 
platforms um, that have sprung up in response to mainstream. You know, CIA-controlled corporate press is evidence of that. I, you know, we've we've never had, I, I could say, uh, more of an awakening to the nature of the state. What is up, everybody? Joey D here. So, unfortunately, the end of this podcast was cut off when I said that we were holding this thing together with duct tape and crazy glue. I was not lying. So, um, we want to thank Jack for coming on to the show. Hopefully, we can do it again. And um, I'd love to be able to recover the last 30 minutes of this conversation. Makes me wonder if our FBI agent was actually the one who... <laughs> Uh, commandeered the rest of the recording, but Jack was an incredible guest. Um, very intelligent, well-spoken dude, really knows his stuff. And I implore each and every one of you to check out um, the rest of his content in volcomic.com, The Philosopher. Check out his book on Amazon. Um, he he kind of runs the gamut when it comes to um, content, um, you know, between the music, the comic books and everything. So, Real quick, I just want to show you guys who are following along, you know, on video. Um, this is the Voluntarist website. They've already hit their 15K stretch goal. So now they're continuing to press forward for episode or uh, I think it's uh, issue six of their origin story. So this is really cool. If you're looking for a based comic, that's going to... Uh, Deliver the Goods, a graphic novel. This is absolutely incredible. You can purchase print comics um, over here. This is where you can make your purchases. So click to get your copy today. Um, other content from Jack and his wife, Fo, uh, can be found on thephilosopher.com. So we have uh, this website right here. There's Jack's book, Libertarianism, uh, Libertarian Voluntarism. Um their latest music video, I Did Not Consent. That was the music from the beginning of the show. And um, here's some interesting stuff that you guys can check out here. Swords to Plowchairs by Ron Paul is actually the name of a magic card. So the dork in me is pretty stoked about that. And of course, you know, freshly based. If you enjoy content like this from crazy people who like to get stoned, have fun, and speculate on weird shit on the internet, um, we're, we're your home. So um, come support us, freshlybased.com, buy some clothes. If you click on a design that you like, it'll show you some more uh, stuff there. So let's check out Joey Biden over here. So if you've ever wanted to step in dog shit with Joe Biden, there you go. You got your shoes right there. Well, we have some interesting gear. People seem to like it. So um, we don't take donations. We don't have a Patreon. We don't do any of that shit. So if you're looking to support us and be about it, about it, rat it, rat it, that's the way to do it. But we want to thank Jack again for coming on to the show. Um, hopefully he'll join us again and we can, A, catch up on that 30 minutes that we lost due to unforeseen technical issues um and also continue the conversation i mean we could have kept going for hours and hours but um you 
Gotta leave room for more. And trust me, this world is going to give us plenty more fodder to talk about. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, if you're joining us on Rumble and YouTube, please like, comment, subscribe, and share. Follow us on Instagram at Freshly Baked, uh, Based Official. And we also have at Freshly underscore Based underscore Podcast um, on IG as well. And, yeah, just join the party, man. That's That's the best way to hang out with us is to check out the uh, content you could also find us where podcasts live on spotify amazon apple um and rss there's other ones too but i don't fucking know them and i don't care to look them up right now thank you guys so much for the support the love we appreciate it we appreciate you stay fresh stay based we love you guys take care peace